You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, Another Rebellion. The twelve spies have returned from Canaan. Most gave a discouraging report. Yes, the land is beautiful and the fruit bountiful, but there are large cities inhabited by giants. We just can't do it. Caleb tried to be the voice of reason and faith. God had brought them this far. He'd promised them the land. All they had to do was go in and possess it. But instead, that night, all the members of the community wept aloud. Then they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They said, If only we had died in Egypt, or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. First they wished they were already dead. They blamed God for bringing them thus far only to let them die in battle and have their wives and children taken as slaves. People often disguise their lack of faith behind a pious front. Did they really think God couldn't protect their family members? Then their complaint led to a plan to return to Egypt of all places. Did they forget that slavery awaited them there? Did they think there would be manna to eat along the way? They were ready to reject Moses as their leader and choose another. This after God had just confirmed him by the very public rebuke of Miriam with leprosy. The book of Acts recalls this event. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. Verses 5-9, through nine, Joshua and Caleb try again. In response, Moses and Aaron do not rebuke them, but fall on their faces in humility. They anticipate God's reaction. But then, two men step forward, Joshua and Caleb, who had been two of the twelve spies and had seen all the same things, but gave a different report. They tore their clothes as a sign of distress, then said, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. They affirmed the land was good and expressed confidence in God's ability to give it to them. The Canaanites had no protection left since they had provoked God. The Israelites were more secure in their tents than the Canaanites were in their fortified cities. Joshua and Caleb understood that their fears were rooted in rebellion to God, but God was on their side. Yes, the danger was great, but God was greater. Verses 10 to 12, not convinced, God's response. They were not convinced, but wanted to shoot the messenger by stoning Joshua and Caleb. In response, the glory of the Lord appeared suddenly at the tent of meeting. All the Israelites saw it. God spoke to Moses and said, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. God was rightly angry with them for refusing to trust and rely on him, 
to give them the land. They had forgotten all the signs and miracles he had done among them. Like Noah, God said he'd wipe them out and start over again with Moses. This prospect might have appealed to someone who was not as humble as Moses was. Instead, he put his ambitions aside and argued for God's reputation and glory. Verses 13 to 19, Moses intercedes. Not for the first time and not for the last time, Moses comes between an angry God and a rebellious people. He dares to approach God and ask him to spare them. He said, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring them, these people, into this land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. <clears throat> His argument was that God's enemies, both Egypt and the surrounding nations, would hear about it and would charge him with inability to complete his mission to bring his people into the land he promised them. They would question God's power. Also, his reputation was at stake. Even their enemies had seen God's wonders and knew his presence was with the Israelites in a special way. So Moses appealed to God's covenant promise and his oath, because God always kept his promises in spite of circumstances. Then Moses reminds God of his own words about his character, which he had revealed to Moses in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He says, Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Moses acknowledges that the people have needed God's forgiveness time and again, so he asks God to do it again because of his great love. His love is the basis of his forgiveness, not the worthiness of the recipients. Verses 20 to 23, Forgiveness but Consequences As we saw with Miriam in chapter 12, who was forgiven but still had to bear the consequences of her rebellion, now God forgives the Israelites but makes them bear the punishment of this ongoing rebellion against him. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Like in Genesis 22:16 to 18 God swears by himself because there is no one higher. This oath confirms that in spite of Moses' appeals, this generation will not enter the promised land. This is the price of the contempt with which they've treated God. To disbelieve God is to treat him with contempt, which is the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration 
worthless or deserving scorn. By rejecting Moses as their leader, they were rejecting God who appointed him. He mentions that they tested him ten times, and there is disagreement as to which exact episodes of rebellion are included in this, or if it's just a round number to show how completely they've rejected God's leadership over them. Psalm 78, 40-43 says, How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power, the day he redeemed them from the oppressor, the day he displayed his signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zoan. Moses' intercession was successful. God promised to forgive as Moses asked. But later in their history, even they, when they are about to go into exile, God says, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. That's Jeremiah 15, 1. Verses, verse 24, Exceptions. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb will be rewarded for his faith and faithfulness, and this will be fulfilled in Joshua 14, 6-15, when he inherits Hebron. Verse 25, next move. In spite of this setback, God has his eye on the situation and tells them, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. It's the grace of God that he would still guide and lead them, even after the rejection, their rejection of him. But now there is a change in direction. Instead of continuing north into the Promised Land, they are to move southward, away from it. Verses 26 to 35, the punishment fits the crime. Just as we saw in Exodus and Leviticus in the laws of justice that restitution or retribution must be equivalent and fair and limited to avoid extremes of failure to provide justice or personal vindictiveness, so now the punishment fits the crime. First God tells Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. He reminds them that he has heard all their complaints, even when they think they were only spoken in the privacy of their tents. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall, every one of you twenty years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. They wished they had died in the wilderness, now they would. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. He reminds them that the land was promised to their ancestors by God's oath, so some would enter, but only some would attain it. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. Their rebellion was essentially a rejection of God's gift. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for forty years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For forty years, one year 
for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. God would now be their enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. They feared their children would become victims, but instead they would be the recipients of the promise shunned by their parents for lack of faith. God is able to distinguish between the guilty and the innocent. The 40 years of wandering would be based on the 40 days they spied out the land. Imagine a two-week journey would take 40 years. Verses 36 to 38, 10 spies killed by plague. While there was no death penalty imposed on the 10 spies who gave a bad report, causing the whole community to grumble, God took care of the matter himself. He killed those 10 men with a plague, while Joshua and Caleb were spared. This was a very specific judgment since it didn't affect anyone else, even their family members, and it verified that the 40-year punishment was just as sure. Verses 39 to 45, too little too late. Just as the 10 spies were responsible for their words and actions, so the people were responsible because they chose to believe them over Joshua and Caleb. Siding with the majority is often the wrong decision. They would have seen the punishment on the ten spies as well. Moses reported the bad news to the Israelites. They would be in the wilderness for 40 years and the Exodus generation would never see the promised land. This caused them to mourn bitterly, but they mourned their punishment, not their sin. Their weeping did not change God's mind. But now they had a change of heart. Early the next morning they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. They recognized their folly and disobedience and thought that they could go up in their own strength. They grieved their punishment but still weren't willing to submit to God. Contrasted with Abraham, who woke up early to obey God in Genesis 22.3, the Israelites woke up early to disobey. But Moses said, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. But true to character, they rejected Moses' counsel and presumed to go against their enemies. But neither Moses nor the Ark of the Covenant went with them, demonstrating that they were on their own. Unsurprisingly, the Amalekites and Canaanites routed them. Moses would recall this event 40 years later. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the wilderness. 
There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Psalm 95, 6-11 applies the lessons from this generation. It says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if only you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Joshua and Caleb appealed to the people to remember God's promise, protection and presence, to allay their fears. These same promises should encourage and sustain us as well, because God doesn't change. God commended Caleb because he has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. God knows how much faith we have or don't have, and we should love him wholeheartedly and seek to be commended by him, as Job also was. Moses, as mediator, interceded for, in prayer for God's people. Jesus, as mediator, prayed for his disciples and those who would believe through him, through them. When Moses appealed to God to forgive, he based it on the love of God. God forgives us based on his love, which sent his son to die for us. Moses was concerned for God's reputation and glory. We should be as well and be distressed whenever someone maligns the name by which we are called. God forgave. But there were still consequences. But in his mercy, he did not destroy them completely. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. This event is an example to warn about the consequences of unbelief. The writer to the Hebrews uses it for the same purpose. You've been listening to the Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Numbers chapter 15. May God bless the study of his word.